We're introducing the princess to Nitram and using a wayfinder to aid the minions in the rise of Gru. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Zara Freeland, and this is your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome back to Off Screen and welcome back, Zara Feeling, for another week. How are you doing this week? Seen anything good? I've seen nothing. Well, apart from what we've seen this week, what we're going to discuss this week, I've seen nothing. And oh, I, I want to do myself. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I've, I've got to catch up on uh, Ms. Marvel this week and finish <sighs> Obi-Wan finally. And I loved the end of Obi-Wan. I, I, I was a big fan of that. I don't get why I got so much hate. But uh, anyway, on to something... And I know you've seen our first one that's in cinemas this week um, because it, it's amusing that you know you and I, in, just in casual knowing one another, have discussed another movie I'm going to compare this one to a lot. So do you remember uh, a few weeks back when we had Elizabeth, a portrait in parts? Oh, I knew you were going to bring this up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you remember that. And it yeah, was like this, okay, we, we want to do a sort of a, 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 a flowing, very artistically driven documentary portraits that at the same time does tell an actual chronicle in a story in a way that conveys you know just the easy flow of that story but but the same way it doesn't distance people it's not being too abstract it's not being too distant right this is the movie i think that was aiming for um <laughs> elizabeth was not that movie but this is that when you apply it to diana and you know you start putting things like facts in there and <laughs> linear time so it's a portrait of diana pretty much from you know, from when she meets charles to yeah. well to obviously her the end and her legacy the end of her time and her legacy what she leaves behind and where the royal family are now and the impact that she has had upon them it's uh, it's 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 obviously you know it's just documentary about Diana so it has to cover certain salacious sides of both the monarchy and the media and to be fair to it it does go all in as you'll hear I think we've got an unhealthy obsession I think she's very close to being a monster she has a sick mind she likes to be with people she likes to be bloody well that's ridiculous she has been humiliated when you put a modern person in an ancient institution, they will be destroyed. The monarchy is in danger of too much publicity. At what point British people sat by someone to hear anymore? What's wrong with us as a country? Should this mean so much to us? So that's a sound. That's uh, a little bit from uh, from the princess there. This is uh, this is not really sort of a known uh, known quantity of a direct, known quantity in the sort of mainstream as a director. It's Ed Perkins, uh, I think, is behind this. Who's uh, I think pretty much known as a technical guy who's risen to the ranks in the sort of documentary and sort of until very recently narrative kind of side. Um, so this is, but this is a really compelling, really interesting documentary. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, there is loads and loads of uh, princess diana documentaries out there which you know oh, yeah. flood, every every streaming platform is flooded with them but there is actually I've, what i found with this one is they've added archival footage that i don't ever remember seeing before hmm. and it's also it's not one of those documentaries where it's kissing the backside of the monarchy it's quite anti-monarchy as well which you know i quite like that <laughs> myself <laughs> 
<laughs> you, you know me. You know me and how anti-establishment I am. But uh, and to be fair, you you assume you assume, don't you, that, that any documentary about Diana or any profile piece on Diana, anything on Diana or any kind of story you tell about Diana, is always going to inherently be anti-monarchy. You largely because of you know the the the, the treatment by Charles, which is, I do have to say is profiled really well here. I think the way it's laid out is. I think probably the most engaging version of it, this is yeah. flat out actually for my money the most engaging profile I've ever seen of Diana and I've yeah. seen my share I mean to be yeah. honest for my money you could have just gotten Kristen Stewart to reenact everything they put <laughs> in this <clears throat> cut it exactly the same way put that movie in and called it Spencer and I would have absolutely backed it for probably every Oscar going Rather I'm 100% than, behind yeah. you on that one, yeah. <laughs> you know I thought this was really, really good. Uh, so that's the that's the princess. That's uh, 12A. Does have uh, some, you know, T and A content because it deals with UK tabloid culture, particularly of the 90s, which was, oof, just even more problematic to look back on now than it was then. And yeah, uh, yeah oh God, so much sleaze. And then again, you look around at some of the stuff today, you're like, my, how things have not changed and they have just evolved. They've just yeah. taken the next form. Also, draw your historical parallels when you watch this one, huh? Because uh, a lot of the things Diana says in this, I think we've heard again in recent years. Very much so, very much so. I actually yeah. also, I, re I remember quite vividly when the, the news broke of her dying. I was up mm. in the middle of the night when that broke. So it was all seemed, it actually made, I actually got goosebumps from it again. And I actually got quite emotional. It's quite suspensefully retold, isn't it? The way, that the, the combination of the footage. And I think the way that, because there is a way in which they leave you hanging with for a, for a very interesting, a very interesting use of sort of not really a very particular kind of bystander for her death and they yeah. take that view and i wondered as i was watching it like why why go with this when you have you know the world of footage and then you think okay actually what they've done is more suspenseful like it leaves you hanging and captivated in a much more engaging way and i think it pays off a lot better than the more obvious way would have i thought this was great i really liked this and i'm not someone who you know i i didn't have any particular love for diana didn't dislike her or anything like that um yeah. media obviously i think of her more as a media figure uh, than anything else now but a part of media history but i thought it was really interesting really engaging I, I i really loved it so another movie we've got out this week and this is a very very different movie uh twisted in a whole different direction from uh, the princess nitram new one from justin Cazell, who gave us uh, was it snowtown and macbeth with uh, michael was that michael fassbender macbeth i want to say that one Yes, I feel like is. that was. And then there was Assassin's Creed, which was the other one with Michael Fassbender. And yeah, but that, anyway, he's back. And he's, yeah. he's he's gone back to his roots. He's doing uh, an Australian... Well, it's a chronicle of Martin Byron, who in the mid-90s was... And I never really knew this story. So in the mid-90s, uh, he was effectively a Dunblane fanboy, who at that point was already established in his local community as a troubled youth. 
who was you know allowed uh, who was developed seemed to be developmentally challenged challenge, certainly behaviorally challenged and entered into a relationship with a middle age i think she was a singer but an heir, a partial heiress to a fortune yeah. i think it was is that a candy company fortune or something weird I like think that? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They quite get the get the uh, context of that, but yeah, I think it was. Uh, who who he then becomes dependent on as a sort of substitute for his abusive mother because he has issues there as she's depicted here by Judy Davis and he played by uh, 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 Caleb Landry Jones who I think in the mainstream is probably best known for stuff like X-Men, the X-Men prequels and Get Out as the creepy ass brother-in-law in Get Out. Yeah. Um, as, her, as his relationship with her is taken away from him, I think starts to find his place in the world and his sense of meaning taken away, but then reassigned in a whole different way. And this thing, let's just say this has twists and turns. And it, to say any more, I think is going to ruin it. Yeah. In a way. A lot, a, lot of the, a lot of the film is one big spoiler. <laughs> a lot of it is. So let's let's just have uh, let, let's just have, have a suspenseful clip. Have, have a listen, Caleb Landry Jones. I told you to stop. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? What's wrong with him? What's... He hates me. He doesn't hate you. Hey! He just cannot have his students playing with fire. What's at lunchtime? Stop it! Well, told me to do something. <laughs> Not this. They're my friends, though. I know. I know they're your friends. They're my friends. I know they're your friends. They like But me. you have to promise me. I can't keep my eye on you all the time. That is Nitram. I can tell you if you're wondering about the title, it is meant to be short for... It's back, backwards for Martin, and that's a term that the kids used to bully him at school. I thought this was actually brilliant. This really knocked me for six. I loved it. Yeah, I went from watching The Princess to this one, and it was just like, "Whoa, man, this is yeah. heavy." <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was a ride you went on that day. Then did you do it in the daytime or at night? That was that was a hell of a ride that you took. I think that you was, that the, was the daytime. I done that in the evening. I was like, "Where's my bottle of wine?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I can imagine that was that was an extreme day, and uh, I think I did them. Did I do them the other way round? I think I did them the other way around, which was uh, I, I, yeah, I did them. No, 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 I did them the same way. Sorry, I did them the same way. Uh, yeah, it was a hell of a day, and uh, first of all, Caleb Glandry Jones is just I think he's brilliant. He's absolutely yeah. brilliant, isn't he? He's absolutely incredible in this and it's in a sense that I, I think in that way that uh his his turning get out was kind of comedic horror i think this is this is more in the direction of straight up thriller horror you don't quite know where this is going that it also comes from a place of fundamental just theater drama at times as well yeah it's just this this brilliant combination I thought he was really captivating. His relationship with Essie Davis as well as as his sort of would-be sugar mama. Yeah. 
Uh, just arranged. I really, I never knew this. I never knew this story. I, I, we always hear the statistic. It's always told every time there's a shooting in the US or anything, yeah. you're a terrorist attack or anything like that. Uh, you always hear that statistic about how Australia, you know, had one mass shooting, then banned guns. And there were no more mass shootings. Kind of yeah. um, and, and I didn't realize that this was a big part of the reason why. I didn't know this story, that this was effectively their done blame. And it was the Dunblane fanboy, effectively. Yeah. I just didn't know the story, which was just, I suppose, culturally ignorant of me. But I was like 13 when this happened, I think. I was going to say you were probably too young. I mean, I was vaguely familiar with it. But, I mean, even when I started watching this film, I had no idea about what it was going to be. I didn't read anything mm. about it beforehand. That's it, isn't it? Because unless you specifically know his name, unless you specifically know that this is the guy, it, you're, you don't really know until it starts to go into that direction. Hang on, is he the guy who... Oh my God! I'm. I, I realize what yeah. movie I'm watching now. Whose story yeah. this is, and what story I'm. Being, oh my God! I had no idea this entire time. Brilliant, love it. Yeah, rock on. And <laughs> it's it, it is quite it's it's playful but quite respectful at the same time. It doesn't feel exploitative. I thought it was really yeah. profound. I thought it was really. I thought it was really gripping. I thought it was a genuinely brilliant film. It is. It was. It's closer to Snowtown than anything else. Justin Cazell's directed, yeah. I think. But it's got, I think, the production value, um, of sorts, uh, the build quality of um, his Macbeth at times as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's Nitram, and that's out today. Welcome back to Off Screen, and we're keeping you in cinemas for another two, well, another two reviews, we'll say. Um, sorry, I just, I, I stuttered because I, I was like, I said, we're keeping you in cinemas, and then realised what we're talking about first, and I, I already, I kind of feel bad about it already, so um, I'm sorry. I feel too bad, the, at least. Yeah, I don't want to bury the lead on the next one. Oh, God. Sorry. Okay. Um, Zara. Do you want to tell the good people about Wayfinder, which they can find in cinemas from today? There is a clip. Just just, just raise your hand when you'd like the clip to play. Just by all means, please tell us and I'll and raise your hand. I'll play the clip. Um, I can't tell you because I have no freaking idea. I'm sorry. <laughs> Five minutes in and I was done. <laughs> play clip. I've never tramped Britain. but lost it all the same. And wonder if I'm to blame and ask what stopped me. Travelling from north to south, the wanderer passes through different regions, towns and landscapes, encountering people, stories and situations on her way. Across six chapters, including The North, The Big Smoke and The Kingdom of the East, this epic film builds a dialogue about class and economic exclusion, belonging and displacement, cultural heritage and the meaning of home. The Wanderer acts as a witness to accounts, conversations, places and histories. Setting out from the ancient paths of Hadrian's Wall, she explores many environments, from a cap from a housing estate in Wolverhampton to Ipolici Cafe in Bethnal Green and the National Gallery deserted at night, eventually reaching the sea at Margate. There is more actual content in what I just read aloud than the entirety 
of the 83 minutes that we both endured watching this. You WhatsApped me 10 minutes yeah. into this. And I remember yeah. this. You, you, you said, I just lasted 10 minutes before I was banging my head against the wall. I went, oh, God, <laughs> Lord, what am I in for? And then I started watching it. Text you. I went, oh, God, Lord, I totally get it now. And then realized that I'd lasted 11 minutes before we <laughs> that point, which is just insane. This plays like the, that kind of, this plays like, you know, too much investment in the arts. It's, it's that argument that, that people want to use. You know, it, 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 yeah. it's, you know, you know, the people that hate fun things and they want to try and proclaim everything as being pretentious. <laughs> it's the example that people who want to bring those people use. The yeah. people who want to bring those people down would use. It, it's the example needed to dismantle all arts funding. It, you know, <laughs> when people proclaim it, go, it goes on meaningless nothing dressed up as mindless pondering. This is the example they would turn to. Very much so. I, I can't disagree with any anything you've said there. To me, it it just I, I think I said this to you. It just feels like a, a really cheap student film. It's eight, I think it's 83 minutes. I want, I want to just confirm, but I think it's 83 minutes. It's not listed on IMDb, notably. Uh, I think it's 83 minutes, if I'm remembering the link correctly, because believe yeah. me, I count every one of them. And, uh, I, I, right, if if you screened this at a, around a sort of set of benches, at a sort of waiting waypoint in a museum... Yeah. People would maybe sit there for five minutes before moving on. If yes. they were t if they were tired, and you did yeah. it halfway through a pretty sizable museum tour, if you did it halfway through the British Museum, it might make a five minute pit stop before people got bored and recouped and moved on. Yeah, it, it belongs completely. at that space. That space just before the toilets, where the toilets are, <laughs> and, and halfway point when they project a little like two minute film. Yeah, that's where you'd put this. And just set yeah. up a couple of benches for people who just want to sit down and have a drink of water. And if they want to hang on 83 minutes, let them. Other than that, no, 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 no. Don't do I that. What, if, I, if I was in a cinema, I would have walked out. I don't walk out of films that often, but I would have walked out. You, I'd have run out. I'd have run out. <laughs> screaming. I don't know, because at one point Flailing. I didn't really want to kill myself. So I don't know. I was really <laughs> right. depressed. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about the minions then? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about something more fun. Okay, so Minions, or Minions 2, The Rise of Gru, or Minions, The Rise of Gru. Or, I, I don't know why they didn't go with M2, Rise of Gru. But I, I'd have gone with that. I'd have gone with M2, Rise of Gru, just had your cake and eaten it, okay? Right, this, I, right, I, I just, I went in thinking, okay, it's another Minions movie, it's another Despicable Me movie, you know, Gru's in it, the Minions are back. What am I in for? I, I've gone through, like, this is the fifth one now this is the fifth one of these if we're including if we if we count them all as one series this is the fifth one yeah okay <clears throat> so i'm thinking uh, i know what to expect now the shrek formula has set in we know what this series is so effectively this serves as both a prequel to the first despicable me and a sequel to minions from uh 2015 2016 27 you know that who knows when that yeah. was like can anyone yeah. remember when minions was now because it, it, it could have been two years ago or it could have been six years ago Kermo and i had this discussion as we were coming out of this this franchise 
has been around for about 12 years. I think it's, it's 12 or 13 years. We're on the fifth movie. They've been coming out pretty consistently. This is not like the How to Train Your Dragon series, which goes away for like five years and four or five years at a time. This comes yes. back a lot quicker. So it does feel like it's never the minions are never really far from us, plus the proliferation of merchandise. So when they start doing a sort of Bond-style pastiche to open this, with the but clearly it's doing that, uh, which I think was You Only Live Twice that was the Bond movie that went to Tokyo, where, they, where Bond did Asian culture. I, I, and I think there's one of the Roger Moore ones does it as well. It might be the man with the golden gun. And they do it a couple of times where Bond wants to go to Japan. He wants to go to China. He wants to embrace Eastern culture and their spy movie tropes. This starts out doing that, but very quickly turns into Gru, t- Gru trying to join the Legion of Doom, effectively, but they're called the Vicious Six, who are a league of supervillains. They reject him for being, you know, a child, which he is at this stage. Okay. He's 11 and three quarters or something like that. But he's noticed he's now voiced by Steve Carell again, who has returned, I think, having not really, giving the character having been slightly younger at the end of Minions when he meets them. Yeah. At this point, it's been a little while. They've kind of settled in. It's been like a year. They've had adventures. He's rejected from the Legion of Doom. He decides he's going to one-up them and he steals their, their trinket, their, their prized uh, heist, you know, a MacGuffin, which is this ancient Eastern, you know, stone. They then set off in pursuit of Gru for this stone, who unbeknownst uh, to them is also being pursued by their former leader who they have betrayed, who also happens to be Gru's ultimate idol, who's voiced by Alan Arkin. And, oh God, what is his name now? He's Wild Knuckles, sorry, is his name. And he's sort of a 70s stuntman, crowbar, mustache, biker, hell's angel fusion type. It's very weird. And uh, he winds up becoming mentor to Gru. And the pair set out to take on the vicious six. Have a listen. All right, who let the kid in? I thought he was a tiny man. What's wrong with you? You seriously think a puny little child can be a villain? Um, yes, I, I am pretty despicable. You don't want to cross me. Evil is for adults who steal powerful ancient stones and wreak havoc. And not for tubby little punks who should be at school. Learning. Taking a recess. Suck, I guess, stop. This ticks so many personal boxes for me as a human being that it's like they've they've been, like, mining my data from Alexa, you know? They've mined mining my Google and Alexa data to just find out. Sorry for anyone's devices who've just kicked off there. Very, very sorry. Sorry, go, go away. Please stop. Um, any Anyone like that? It feels like they've been mining my personal recommendations to, to find out what would get me interested in a Minions movie. Uh, this, this effectively returns to the balance of the very first Despicable Me, which was, okay, it needs to be about that familial relationship as much as it is about the spy element, the supervillain element. But at the same time, it needs to focus on 
the supervillain element rather than the spy bit. Like the spy can only be so much of the supervillain. The Venn diagram of those circles, the spy can only really be a, a portion of of either. It can't consume the, the 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 sweet spot in the middle, which is where we have to exist. The balance is right here, which is it's Gru and the his relationship with the minions and his relationship with his you know would be father figure here, his mentor who's played by Alan Arkin, which by the way is a Burt Wonderstone reunion, which warms every cell of my being. I, I just, just, I'm just sad that Steve Buscemi wasn't brought back for this. I'm just distraught that that wasn't, that wasn't a thing because I, I'm, I'm just endlessly infatuated with uh, the the unappreciated gem that is the incredible Burt Wonderstone. I mean, it's it's Jim Carrey as, as you know, uh, what's his name, Chris Angel, the the Vegas magician. I love it. Anyway, um. I love that. They've got the balance right. The minions had there's the sharp writing here, the the characterization, the silent movie acting. It all works. The storytelling plays quite well to adults without feeling too patronizing. Uh to kids at the same time. The balance is right in every regard. Uh, ultimately it all comes together. And then there's Michelle Yeo, who just shows up, steals the whole thing. Just shows up to play Michelle Yeo. And you're just like, Yeah, uh, okay. And then you realize that she's the only reason they were doing the whole Bond went to Asia bit at the beginning of the movie thing they were doing. You're like, okay, do you know what? It's Michelle Yeoh being Michelle Yeoh. And that is enough fun to justify that. Fair play. Go nuts. This was a grand old time. I had an absolute blast with it. Some of the gags absolutely destroyed me. There's actually some great in-jokes. Uh, I think it's the best one of this franchise since the very first Despicable Me. I'll actually go that far because, again, it got that balance to me. I think the first Despicable Me has been impossible to match for that balance, that quality, that tone, which was very dark in an in a macabre Adams family way, and I think has just lost its edge increasingly as time's gone by, and it's become sillier and more outlandish. Oh, I can't. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I haven't seen The Rise of Gru, but mm. I really love this whole series of films, and I've I've loved every single one of them so far. Yes, yeah, some of them. Are I've enjoyed them. Yeah, and I do think that all of them are made really, really well, even mm. if they do go off a bit on a tangent. But you know, it's I, I was actually really gutted that I didn't get to see this film. Were you really gutted? Oh, you should have come along. It's great fun. Anyway, so uh, that's Minions 2, uh, Electric Boogaloo, or, uh, oh, Electric Boogaloo. It would have been an amazing song. What is... Look, I'm, I'm sorry. Illumination, stop making me do your jobs for you. Minions, The Rise of Gru, Sin Cinemas, straight at you, I think, from today. Go see. It's very good fun. And welcome back to Off Screen. This is next block is going to be your seven day guide to everything preview. Yep. So some fun to come this week. And you know what? There's, you know me. I love a good uh, schlocky thriller. It's one of my things. You've you've accompanied me uh, to many an evening screening uh, where we've sat through what you would determine to be some absolute dross, and I will just declare to be the most whimsical ride of the season because I love a good schlocky thriller. And I'm thinking about things like, uh, oh God, was it, was it Greta or something a few years ago? 
Oh, that one, I really love that one with Isabel Huppert as the psycho Thobrex. That was a ride. Um, so something akin to that uh, from 2015, 2016, Joel Edgerton's directorial debut, The Gift, is on 9 p.m. on Great Movies uh, tonight. This one stars Jason Bateman and uh, Rebecca Hall as the the, the sort of young, newly wed, very happy sort of. Uh, upscale couple who are you know basically starting out in their life and uh, they run into a an old old school acquaintance of his played by joel edgerton you know so played by director joel edgerton i believe has also written this as well who suddenly starts terrorizing their lives so it's basically single white female with that kid you just couldn't unfriend have a listen oh no <laughs> Well, we have to thank him this time. <laughs> For what? Coming onto our property without asking? No. This is not troubling to you? I, I really don't think that he meant it to be troubling. I mean, he wouldn't see it like that. He just he just thinks he's giving us some fish. You know, they used to call him weirdo in school. Gordo the weirdo. Rebecca Hall and Jason Bateman there. This was so much fun. I absolutely love this. Did you remember this one? I didn't actually remember it until you started describing it. I was like, yes, I do remember this. And I actually really like this. Yeah, because when you start to remember it, you start to remember the absolutely deranged directions it took. And you just go, oh my God, I have to watch that again. So that is absolutely getting put back on my screen tonight. Uh, Joel Edgerton's directorial debut, The Gift. I, I, I will love Joel Edgerton forever. For this movie, because I, I I don't know I don't know what it is about I just nothing about that man said, yeah he he seems like a guy whose directorial debut is going to be like an absolutely bonkers schlocky ass thriller, that's going to be and, and and he'll get the guy from Arrested Development to join him. It totally seems like a thing that'll happen. Yeah, hats off to you, Joel. Well done. Welcome to the Star Wars. Welcome back to the Star Wars verse as well. Great to see you. So uh, Saturday night, uh, ten fifty on ITV. My favorite Michael Mann movie. Controversial choice, I know, but it's just, I think it's shorter and punchier than Heat. I find it breezier. Collateral with uh, Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise from 2005. Remember this one? Tom Cruise is the hitman. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. You've never seen this one. This one is great. This well, this is one I'll go back and watch every again every couple of years. So Jamie Foxx is the cab driver who picks up an assassin from the airport, played by a grey-haired, grey suit, a grey-haired and equally grey-suited uh, Tom Cruise, who hires him for the night to basically drive him around LA while he whacks people one by one until he clears the list. But of course, you know he's played by Jamie Foxx, so and he's he's our you know our, our protagonist. He's our POV character. So, of course, he can't stand for this and he's going to have to make a move sooner or later. It's it's really something. It's Michael Mann's unmatchable urbanite style. Just that, that, that unique vision, that, you know, that very specific blend of gloss and grain, you know, that you get with yeah, Michael yeah, yeah. Mann. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. here's the glossiest surface in the world, but I'm going to make sure you see every pore in it. Michael Mann. Yeah, it's that, but in a a very breezy Hollywood thriller. And yeah, that really works for me. But Collateral then on uh, on ITV, Saturday night, 10.50. 9pm Sunday night, uh, BBC Two. One, you must have have done the press conference for this, I'd imagine. 
it, when it when it happened. Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Did you do the press stuff for this? I don't think I did the press press conference for it. No, I think Not it's that because I can remember anyway. I think it's because we've all done so many Ken Branagh and Chris Nolan ones. We don't know if we've done any of the ones where they overlap. But Dunkirk, yeah. which was uh, was Nolan's uh, retelling of the events of Dunkirk, which we get from, I think it's three perspectives and three different passages of time, which is an absolutely deranged way to actually t to tell this. But Christopher Nolan being Christopher Nolan makes it work. The thing you forget about this movie as well is because you'd look at it being on like nine o'clock on BBC Two on a Sunday night and be like, yeah, I'm not staying up until like half one watching some four and a half hour Chris Nolan here three, his three different time periods version. Yeah, I'm not doing that. And you're like, actually, it's like a hundred minutes. I think it's about yeah. an hour. I think it might be, it's, it's got to be one of the, it's easily the shortest, right? It has to be. Yeah. Or is this very yeah, first one is. the shortest? No, I think this one's got to be the shortest. I love it. So Nolan not only gets to prove a point, he gets to do it whilst making a movie as badass as this. You're weekend sailors, not the bloody Navy. You should be at home. There's no hiding from this, son. We have a job to do. Turn it around! We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. Where's the bloody Air Force? Dunkirk there, 9pm Sunday night on BBC Two. Uh, one that's a guilty pleasure of mine. Um, I, I, I don't know if you, you like this one as well, or as much as I do. Um, Monday, 9pm, Paramount. It's a remake. It's a Tony Scott remake. And it's one that stars Denzel, which is an unbeatable combination. You get Tony Scott and Denzel together. You get Man on Fire, you know? You get Unstoppable, okay, which maybe isn't a great example. You get Deja Vu, which maybe, again, isn't a great example. But you get Man on Fire. And then you get the taking of Pell and One, Two, Three. I tell you what, I went through a whole period of hating Tom Cruise. That's why I never saw Collateral. And not really liking Denzel either. So I never saw this either. Did you know? Oh. This was, no, I, I can I'm understand why. Really... Yeah, I can understand why his movies for a couple of years were a bit dull. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like much of the sort of mid 2000s, like between Man on Fire and kind of around this time, it feels like it was, it was kind of a drab period. But yeah, I can understand why. But uh, that, I mean, it was that one, very was much same old, same old for me. And I was like, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Denzel's. Denzel's always done those movies, those ones that, like, you know, they they, they don't make much, but you know, they keep him working as long as he's on posters, <laughs> as long as it keeps Denzel around. We don't mind. Uh, this was a fun one though because it paired him with uh, John Travolta. It was it was Denzel v John Travolta, and it was just so much fun. Uh, Travolta is absolutely chewing the scenery, and uh, whilst Denzel gets to do all the emotional heavy lifting, and it's it, it's exactly what you get these two guys for and then you have james gandolfini running around in the background as well as, as you know as the corrupt new york mayor trying to defuse this hostage situation on which you have you know denzel negotiating travolta you know hostage taking just an absolute blast i i love this uh, john Turturro, i think uh, in there as well uh just just great from 2009 the taking of Pella one two three monday night 9 p.m on paramount uh right i'm gonna let you 
Take, 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 take over this one for my before you lose every shred of my voice. Uh, Tuesday night, nine o'clock, TCM, which we always forget is on Freeview because there's never anything decent on it. Um, <laughs> Turner Classic Movies on TCM, nine o'clock, Tuesday night, The Lost Boys, Zara. Yeah, my all-time, one of my all-time favourite classics. Takes me straight back to my, uh, my teenage years. Your misspent teenage. youth. Misspent youth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then you've got you've got the likes of you know Corey Haim, Corey Feldman, Jason Patrick, all there. Um, the, what is it? It's, it's um, Corey Haim's family, Jason Patrick's family. They're moving into this. What, what's the town called? Do you know? I forget. It's that California sort of beachfront town, isn't it, with the boardwalk? Yeah. Oh, good God! It's it's escaping my mind as well. I was going to say San Dimas, but that's uh, <laughs> no. that, that's Bill and Ted, isn't it? Um, but we, we're going to have to move on because we've got another vampire movie okay. the following day, so or, mm-hmm. which is also on TCM. So we, st- we we not only get to bring them up for the first time in like ever, we get to bring them up twice in the same week. Uh, but they moving on, like vampire week. <laughs> I, I I can't tell. I, 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 I imagined that, but mm. uh, moving on. And it's a different... This is, I think, it, this has got to be uh, nine years on from The Lost Boys. Another kind of vampire movie. This is George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino in the unmatchable From Dusk Till Dawn, which is kind of like Nitram in that it's one of those movies that you feel like if you tell someone too much about it when they know nothing, you're going to be giving the game away and they lose out on the fun. Um, it is a vampire movie, but it's not. And I, almost to say it's a vampire movie is spoiling it effectively because at the time... That was its big swing. But it's on 9pm, also on TCM, the following day on Wednesday. Uh, rounding off the week, though, and I don't know, is this on your DVD shelf? I don't know if this is in your pantheon. It's a 1986 It is, actually. This is, this is on yes. your shelf? Yeah, it was actually inherited from, uh, from, from my brother. My dearly departed brother. <laughs> I just nicked it to all of his DVDs. <laughs> I was about to, did, you, would you, did you buy? Did you want it specifically that one? Because do you have? You, are you a fan of Aliens? Is my question. Because for my money, one of the three greatest movies ever made. Um, I think it was just the fact that he had quite a few classics there, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> Yeah, well, not, not always a big fan of it, but yeah, like, I love that. Yeah. Well, for, for, for my money, the second best movie James Cameron ever made after Terminator 2 Judgment Day, uh, which I suppose technically makes it, in my opinion, the second best movie ever made. Also the greatest sequel of all time. It is the movie that gave us Sigourney Weaver as the action t- as, as the action-centric, flamethrower-wielding, genre-spinning femme fatale badass that Linda Hamilton would then go on to somewhat redefine as well in the early 90s when she returned to the Terminator series with Judgment Day. It is, of course, Aliens. It is on 10pm Monday night, uh, Monday night, on Thursday night, sorry, on ITV4. And of course, give it up for Bill Paxton, who just slays in this. Well, that's great. That's just great, man. Now what the are we supposed to do? Where's the real pretty now, man? You finished. I guess we're not gonna be leaving now, right? I'm sorry, Newt. You don't have to be sorry. It wasn't your fault. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? Maybe we could build a fire, sing a couple of songs, huh? Why don't we try that? We better get back. Because it'll be dark soon, and they mostly come at night. Mostly.
And we're back for one last ride off screen. And do you know what? This is a movie I'm, I've been really looking forward to. And I, I didn't think it was getting a UK uh, release date uh, this week. And it, this kicks off our, our streaming and, and disc releases uh, at Picks for the week. And uh, I'm, I'm disappointed that I missed out on this because it's coming to Disney Plus from today. And it's the Joey King period piece fantasy action movie, The Princess, in which she's literally like a ye olde medieval princess who has to go full Jane Wick to save the kingdom. Or, or while sporting like, you know, the the requisite dumbass British accent that all Americans like to put on. I can't wait. Have a listen. Oh. I like a girl in lace. What has Julius done with my family? Do you even know how to use this thing? your language you're in the presence of a princess the princess on disney plus from today i i, I was really looking forward to this was it dominic cooper were you were you on this uh, yeah i mean i I'd, I'd seen the trailer a couple of weeks ago and i was like yeah this looks like quite quite a lot of fun actually and then heard nothing also, very confusing to put out two movies on the same day called The Princess to put one in cinemas and then one on Disney+. Plus. I mean, it's a hell of a mistake to make. I mean, I hope that they're both equally good. I hope I have, you know, as captivating experience with the action movie Princess as I did the documentary portrait <laughs> Princess. Definitely. But uh, I'm up for a good time. Dominic Cooper's always good, good value for money. He's always good fun. Good or bad? He's never uninteresting. That's yeah. what you've got to say about Dominic Cooper. Now, can we please have our George Michael, played by Dominic Cooper, buy a pick already? Just make it happen. Come on, Dexter Fletcher. You're doing the rest of them. Just do George Michael while you're at it. Come on. That'd okay. be a perfect casting. Would be, wouldn't it? Right, so um, Disney Plus from today is also the home for a, a, a forgotten little movie. Um, called Made in America from 1993. Do you remember this? With Whoopi and Ted Danson and Will Smith. Oh, is it that Made in America? Is okay. that Made in America? It's I thought the you one... were talking about... I thought it was a Tom Cruise one. <laughs> right. It is... No, no, no that's uh, American... That, that's, isn't that American Made? Oh, yes, American it is. Made. That's American Great Made. Difference. There's also... <laughs> There's also, confusingly, OJ made in America, I believe, as well, which is, believe me, a very different movie. This is back when Ted Danson could still play a romantic lead. So 1993, like he was aging out of it at this point. This is when Cheers was winding down. So this is the story of, I think, his college-age daughter, who um, is, has been raised by her African-American mother, played by Whoopi Goldberg, who was conceived by, uh, by sperm donation, I believe and seeks seeks out her biological father only to discover not only that uh that you know that, that it's it's ted well that not only that he's white but it's ted danson and this causes you to question the whole relation that her whole you know uh, relationship she has with race and how she sees it was really progressive actually in a strange way but quite prescient in another in that her her bff her sort of platonic bestie who of course like requisitely in love with her in that way that all of these sort of supporting male characters were at the time is played by none other than a then relatively unknown in mainstream film 
Will Smith. So this is like the closest he got to being a lead. This is the same. This is just before he did Six Degrees of Separation, and and then I think he goes on to like Bad Boys and things. But this is 1993. This is when he's on Fresh Prince. Um, it's all sorts of wild fun. Uh, I, I loved this movie when it came out. I want to go and revisit this, and I'm amazed it's not talked about more often because I say ahead of its time. Do you remember this from '93? Vaguely, absolutely. I do remember the whole race point mm. that she was questioning, but I don't remember much else about it. it worth checking out on Disney Plus from today. Uh, on uh, Amazon Prime or Prime Video from today, two Russell Crowe movies. The first, of course, you'll know about Gladiator, winner of Best Picture. Deservedly so. It was it was a damn good picture. You watch Gladiator and in the old school sense, you stood up and you took her out. Like, ah, it's a good motion picture. And it's also, you know, Russell Crowe in his heyday, in his prime, in leather in a leather skirt. Hey, what's not to like? <laughs> Precisely. It's on Prime Video from today to be streamed. But there is, I think, a far more unappreciated, but I think more deserving in a schlocky way, off your time, gem from Meister Crow. Uh, and that is, of course, 1995's teaming of him, I believe this was his first teaming, with Sir Denzel Washington. They would reunite, I believe, years later in American Gangster. Uh, but they first united in the cyber thriller Virtuosity, which comes to Prime Video to, from today, in which I believe the fictitious year is like, is it 1999 or something like this? So the movie's made in 95. But imagine a world in which holograms are a thing and virtual reality is every day, and Denzel's the wrongly incarcerated cop who's let out of, out of cyber prison where his mind is kept while his body is in stasis to capture an AI program, a training program, Program made out of the personalities of serial killers called Sid 6.7, I believe his name is, played by Russell Crowe, who's then sort of computer animated on top to boot, so he's all sort of wild and wacky and animated, who escapes into the real world in like a cyber body. So it's Demolition Man, effectively, but instead of Cryo Prison, it's the cyber world. And it's Manhunt AI. Sid's too complex to design. Lindemeyer had to grow him up psychologically like a real person with multiple personality disorder program runs like a child much faster it's like you put all these killers in sid's nursery and let him watch them cannibalize each other and only the strong ones survive yeah. open sid 6.7 combine looks like there's almost 200 different personality structures in this version battle raging inside him must be amazing it's exactly the kind of schlocky cyber <laughs> nonsense that you saw alongside things like johnny mnemonic yeah you remember movies like that you remember the cyber invasion of like 95 and 96 yeah hated it <laughs> yeah, every, everything everything was like vr and like silver and flat black you know yeah. everything was you know ninja styled and everything all that cyber stuff of the mid 90s uh, very much part of that um speaking of part of their era coming to uh, netflix from today not one not two not three but four movies that comprise the underworld saga were you a fan what do you think of the underworld saga zara i i liked i think i liked the first couple of them hmm. um very what was it michael sheen Completely different looking now these days, but I that think was that's the where thing, I, I yeah. first 
really appreciate who he was. Because he was kind of the supporting character and he was the unexpected breakout hunk of it, wasn't it? Because then you got like a, a, a third one, which was a prequel, to actually use him as a love interest, as, as a tragic love interest, I think, as well. And then yeah. you, I, I forget the fourth one, I think he's then like a, a, a retro cyber uh, reboot as well, in a sense. But uh, the fourth one, I think, the third and fourth ones, I think, were quite fun. I thought the first two were a bit messy, but they do have their fans, and I think it is meant to serve as a sort of Resident Evil-style Romeo and Juliet of vampires and werewolves. Yeah, see, I've got this whole... I love all that those kind of, you know, mythical vampire-werewolf-type mm. kind of storylines. So, yeah, I think that's probably why I was quite taken with it. I think some of the CGI dates them incredibly. Uh, even oh, even yeah. even the most recent one, the fourth one that rebooted it as the cyber one. Uh, yeah. But they say you can you can see the lot in full, and they are. I, I think I, I watched them all in full when the last one came out. Like like for, for the first time, I marathoned them, and that, it was an interesting experience. There were, there was stuff I really liked in them. I do think like Kate Beckinsale, you know, deserving breakout star. Don't know where yeah. it all went wrong for her. I think she just became a star at the wrong time for an actress. You know, she, start, it, she started to believe her own hype, I think. Well, there is that, but there is also the same. She had the same thing happen to her that happened to Rachel McAdams, which was yeah. their career just happened at the wrong time. Yeah. And if it had happened like five years before, before they would have been like a huge Sandra Bullock level star eventually. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Monaghan, you feel like, is another one of those. You know, you get these actors where they're in enough things and they're decent, in, decently fun enough in them and sellable enough as talent in them that you think, why did they not quite break out? Why is Rachel McAdams still like the fifth build lead in a Doctor Strange sequel? You know, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, it's a very strange one, that one. Um, anyway, so um, one that's... Uh, 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 this is this is almost weird to look back on this one because <laughs> this is where Mark Ruffalo could play the young stud. Like <laughs> the young... Uh, literally, a young stud. And this is from, I think it's 2000... This is The Last Castle on Netflix from today. This starred Robert Redford. Do you remember this one? Don't. Robert Redford is like the most revered general in the US military who disobeys orders in the name of like, you know, saving lives, like on the battlefield. And he's court-martialed, like people die as a result of what he's done. So he goes to, to jail. He goes to military jail. He goes to one that is run by James Gandolfini, who's like his biggest fan. And he's like a psychotic prison warden and also a military history buff. And Robert Redford objects to the way that he treats the prisoners and starts to lay the groundwork to stage a full-on military-grade uprising in a military prison against the warden. So it's Redford versus Gandolfini with Mark Ruffalo as, like, the young convict inmate who, okay. like, who sees him as, like, a mentor figure. It's, it's, it's really good fun. It's one of those, like, it's exactly as good as you'd imagine. A, a, a made for the year 2000 thriller starring Robert Redford and James Gandolfini. You know, 105 minutes. He is like Taylor <laughs> Hackford directing, something like that. Would be. <laughs> yeah. Is no, Robert I mean, Redford still looking quite hot at, in that at that time? It was yeah. It was one of those. It was it was when he was like aging. It was when my mum still pulled the oof Robert Redford. Oh, still yeah. would. 
Boy, he's a good looking older man. You know, that's why my mum still pulled back, you know? But that's on uh, Netflix from today. And like, it's it's a good one. Like, that's one I would I would always rewatch, actually. Um, one I know you watched on Netflix a while ago because I got you into the series, I think. Uh, yeah. Cult, of, Cult of Chucky, which I think is the immediate predecessor to the uh, currently running uh, Sci Fi Channel uh, TV series, uh, which is great fun. Both you and I are fans of that. Series two is coming soon. Hey, don't worry. And one that's, oh, just, I mean, it feels topical because Ms. Marvel's covering it actually this week as well. Um, On Wednesday, uh, Viceroy's House comes to Netflix, uh, starring Hugh Bonneville as uh, Lord Montbatten during the partition of India, which if you've got to get anyone to do it, get Hugh Bonneville. Of course, get (laughs) Hugh Bonneville, because he might be the most British man that ever lived. And, uh, well... (laughs) Here he is plotting the partition, possibly the most British operation there ever was. You're asking me to draw a line through people's houses, rice paddies, jute fields. Look, I understand. It's a daunting proposition, yes. And we all accept that some anomalies will be inevitable. Radcliffe, how well do you know Bengal and the Punjab? I assume Pug would have told you, sir. I've never set foot in India in my life. The partition, ladies and gentlemen. So, yeah, if you watched Ms. Marvel this week and you wondered what's about to jump off, you can watch this movie and get a little uh, get a little jump on the uh, absolute living nightmare of atrocities you're about to wander into. Uh, Isn't this from the director of Bend It Like Beckham? I believe it is. It is, yeah. too. And she's... She's great. Got, yeah, and she's got no she's got no compunction about really getting into it either and like pointing fingers. Yeah. Like, like that's hats off. I mean, she's like really an establishment kind of figure now. Yeah. Like, you know, with like BFI BAFTA, things like that. But you know, she's still not afraid to wag a finger, which is Yeah, but it's still not a great film. I it's still not, it's, it's still not a great film. But, silly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but if you're if you're the kind of person who wants a Hugh Bonneville movie that isn't Paddington then this is... Congratulations. Or Downton Abbey. <laughs> no, well, I would, if you're into Downton Abbey, you're into this movie. You're going to like this, yeah. Yeah, if you're into Downton Abbey, you're into this movie. If you're into Paddington, yeah. you're probably not into this movie. That's <laughs> that's the metric, okay? If you're into both, you're fine. That's, that's the metric. <laughs> that's, your, you go. <laughs> that's your Venn diagram. But I don't think it's really possible to only like uh, Paddington <laughs> of those two. <laughs> <laughs> Find out for yourself when Viceroy's House arrives on Netflix come Wednesday. Uh, here endeth the streaming and disc listings for this week. I don't think was there anything. I don't think there was anything on on disc uh, for this week, but I believe there is uh, something decent coming next week if memory serves. Um, alongside reviews, we'll be covering on next week's show the Julian Assange documentary Ithaca next week. Uh, the movie Futura is next week. I, I profess I don't know anything about that one other than cool title, bra. Um, <laughs> Brian and Charles. Do you know about this, Brian and Charles? Because I got invited to the multimedia for this. I'm see. I, I am seeing. I'm not going to the multimedia. Yeah, I've had I've had a few invites, but I haven't gone along yet. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. I, I hear good things, although I know naff all about it. It's like that Cronenberg one that's coming up. Uh, Crimes yeah. of the Future in the Future. I'm looking forward to that. And of course, next week. Well. You gotta hit it, hit it hard, hit it 
like Thor. Love and Thunder next week. Oh, the Odin Sun is Bit of eye candy. I know. And this, <laughs> and this time I think we're swapping. Uh, is it we're swapping immigrant song for Sweet Child of Mine? Yeah. Uh, this week, much to the absolute delight of uh, our resident seven-year-old, um, who who was absolutely shocked that a song he knew. Um, had also been heard of by the people who run Marvel, so that was uh, that was that was a great moment for him. God bless so, him. When you're seven, the world is wondrous. So join us again uh, next week. We come back with all that cinematic goodness and more. In the meanwhile, I've been Van Connor and I've been Zara Phelan, and we shall return. Bye.